the Science Inside podcast. This is the Science Inside. Hello and welcome. This is the Science Inside. And I am your host, Bridget Liberi. And now we all know that SA's power utility, ESCOM, relies heavily on coal. And 90% of the energy that comes from uh, ESCOM is fired up by coal power stations. But the urgency for a change has never been more urgent than, than now. Because we all know that we are facing a power crisis, really. And we have seen that with uh, the amount of load shedding that has been the country and we all know that um, burning coal not only impacts negatively on the environment and on our health but also if SA's coal supplies were to be depleted in the near future we would not have power at all hence the need for the power talk we are having today so during the month of March South Africans were faced and affected by major power cuts and these implemented load shedding disruptions have led to discussions around how South Africa can bring an end to its coal dependency habit and it has brought um, you know, a conversation around we needing uh, to think about how uh, we can implement new and lifelong sustainable energy plans such as building in an alternative energy option into our power grid. And according to South Africa's National Development Plan published in 2018, which was also included in the Independent Resource Plan for uh, between 2010 and 2030, that the following capacity developments would take place um, and and it would total to uh, 6,422 megawatts under the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producers Program. And uh, that has been pro- procured with just over 3,000 megawatts of operational power that would be made available to uh, the power grid that is ESCOM. So on tonight's show, we find out from ESCOM about what the life and long-term plans, uh, the energy plans are for the future and where we are headed as far as renewable energy is concerned. But obviously, before we go into that story, we have to look at other interesting things that we have prepared for you on our show. And in the news tonight, we find out about a highly effective shrub that is able to treat addiction. And also in our in our other story, the possibility of how dentists can use their, their expertise to identify victims of domestic violence. And in Unscience, we find out why potassium can't decide whether it wants to be a liquid or a solid. Then lastly, we unpack a story of vet students who work together with their professor on a solar paneling uh, project that is possibly that could possibly light up households one day if implemented correctly and with the the the, the proper resources that will be needed to um, fund the project and all that and more a bit later in the show but you can also catch us on facebook as the science inside and uh, our whatsapp line is 084 0784912 get interactive and uh, tell us what you are thinking tell us which stories um, you liked tell us uh, what kind of other stories you'd like us to talk about on the science inside and obviously you can also tweet us at vowfm hashtag science inside so next up we have the news this week science headline 
In, in your news making headlines this week, technology enables the impossible by treating addiction with a shrub. Dentists could play a vital role in helping identify domestic violence. Good evening, I'm Campion Jaima with the news. Scientists from Oregon Health and Science University have used a compound found in a shrub native to Africa to reveal the three major shapes of the serotonin transporter, a protein in the brain linked to anxiety and depression. The researchers examined the protein binding to ibogaine, an alkaloid that alters brain function and occurs naturally in the shrub iboga, which is a plant found in the central and western parts of Africa. Using ibogaine, researchers revealed the structure of the serotonin transporter in outward open, closed and inward open shapes. The serotonin transporter acts as a molecular pump for serotonin, recycling the neurotransmitter based on neural signals. Serotonin shapes neurological processes including sleep, mood, cognition, pain, hunger and aggression. Senior scientists in the study and investigator with the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, Dr. Eric Guax, says that this could allow scientists to target new ways of controlling the transmission of serotonin. The authors of this report are expecting that they may find the open door to developing medications that stop addiction without the hallucinogenics and other dangerous properties of ibogaine. In 2016, Dr. Guax led a team that first revealed the structure of the serotonin transporter, which provided new insights into how some of the most prescribed antidepressants interact with and inhibit the transport of serotonin. This interaction is able to influence virtually all human behaviors because serotonin regulates the activity of the central nervous system as well as processes throughout the body from cardiovascular function to digestion, body temperature and reproduction. This new study extends that groundbreaking work by showing the transporter's major conformations or shapes. The National Institute for Drug Abuse of the National Institutes of Health provided the researchers with ibogaine, which is a controlled substance which is tightly regulated under U.S. law. Most antidepressant drugs bind to the outward open conformation, and this study shows ibogaine can bind to the inward state. On our second story... The University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, and Midwestern University have published an article to bring to light the important role that dentists can play in identifying domestic violence victims. The article that as much uh, the article reports that as much as 75% of head and neck trauma associated with domestic violence occurs with oral injury. From these findings, researchers concluded that dentists are in the unique position to be first line of defense in identifying evidence of assault and the reporting potential cases of domestic violence. The potential of this paper could include bringing dentistry and its subspecialties into the conversation about traumatic brain injury, specifically in cases of domestic violence. This implies that oral and facial trauma may be treated or identified by dentists and dental subspecialists, opening another avenue for patients to gain access to proper care or needed assistance. 
The team of researchers in this study hope that the study will find a way to bring awareness on the importance of having all healthcare professionals involved in identifying and helping victims of domestic violence, which helps in creating additional touch points between victims and the healthcare delivery system. It is also an opportunity for dentists to be early detectors who can refer those individuals for follow-up care. The oral biomarkers for the oral biomarkers that could help dentists potentially identify domestic violence victims include tears, fractures, breaks, and chips in the teeth and mouth that would be inconsistent with personal history and therefore raise the index of suspicion. Obvious signs of violence that may indicate brain injury include jaw or tooth fractures, trauma to nerves in the mouth, as well as damage to the nasal bone. Tooth discoloration, blunted roots, and pulpal necrosis, which is the death of cells and tissues in the center of a tooth, also may be signs of a previous dental trauma warranting further investigation. According to the publication, dentists receive little to no education about identifying and discussing domestic violence with potential victims, yet they may be the first and only health professional to evaluate a domestic violence victim. According to Dr. Ellis, who is one of the researchers to the study, many dentists are intrigued by the topic and the response has been largely positive. Dr. Shireen Brownstein, Director of Preclinical Faculty at the Midwestern University College of Dental Medicine, Arizona, and co-author of the study, said that as, as a dentist, she always is sensitive to head and neck injuries and behaviors and how these may be a sign of domestic violence, but never thought of oral biomarkers as they relate to trauma, brain injury, and domestic violence. As a result... And a precautionary measure, she explains that all dentists could be educated on the identification of potential injuries sustained as a result of domestic violence. Following this study, the next steps may include collecting data from dentists to document oral biomarkers of injury. Recapping your top stories for this hour, technology enables the impossible by treating addiction with a shrub and dentists could play a, a very important role in helping identify domestic violence victims. This week's Science Headline. Wow, I think these were really interesting stories uh, that uh, you've brought up, um, Campion. I mean, that shrub, I mean, it's a, it's a groundbreaking um, discovery. I mean, if you could treat um, addiction, I mean, but the thing that that's that's got me intrigued is is this sh uh, uh, the shrub is it easily accessible or available is it something that they've always known about well to be honest the shrub is not that famous but it has been used for medicinal purposes it's only now that they've looked at it at a very close view uh, and the study actually says it's a, at a molecular level so it's a very very strong and very close look at it but i only wish that they had known this sooner because it doesn't seem like the problem of domestic violence is getting better and we want as much as help as we can to solve this problem Mm, I think you're mixing the two stories. <laughs> you meant the, um, the the one on 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 the shrub. It's oh yes, yes, for dealing with um, 
with uh, <laughs> with addiction, okay, right? Okay, my, my, my mistake there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, but still, on that shrub, uh, they've always known about the shrub and they've used it for quite some time. It's only now that they've used more advanced technology to make better use of the shrub. Sure, and it's an African shrub, you said. Yes, it is. And it's actually found in western and central parts of Africa. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think this is really fascinating because, I mean, it's it's an incorporation of, you know, some of the herbs that mm-hmm. our moms use to, um, you know, self-heal uh, or mm-hmm. treat. Yeah. Uh, it's not always safe yeah. to use any of these plants that you come across. But I think it's a really good step in uh, the medicinal fields where now they are looking into traditional or indi- indigenous plants to help treat and something something like addiction i mean who would have thought yeah yeah and i was as, as actually as i was going through the article i was thinking to myself what if the drug itself also has you know side effects and what if you get addicted to the drug that's supposed to cure <laughs> drug addiction right yeah that happens that hap- <laughs> that, that is a likely thing to happen but i'm sure they are looking into it because uh, i mean they wouldn't really um, go ahead with something that would um, you know sort of the the cure being something that yeah. actually um yeah, obviously the, the progress. Yeah, they can. Actually, they did look at that, and uh, it has some side effects, but it's nothing compared to drug addiction and its perverse effects as well. Yeah, or the opioid yeah, crisis. Exactly, you're right. Sure, <laughs> uh, but um, the other one, um, the other story that you did, it, it was just as compelling, just as interesting. I mean, dentists. Yeah, dentists yeah. being like, uh, you know, <laughs> who knew that'd be this important? At some yeah, point? <laughs> because I mean, like, yeah, they are the guys who say say ah, oh. <laughs> and I never thought we'd have we'd have uh, you know we'd we'd use them in science to do something as remarkable as um, you know. You know, pointing out people who are, who are victims, and we know that victims of um, of domestic violence, they they not readily um, they do not want to readily come out and and speak about you know the problems that yeah. they are facing, and mm. most of them they hide. And if somebody can pick this thing up quite quickly, maybe a lot of women and men, mm-hmm. men also affected, yeah. could be saved. Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Um, well, most of the people who go through domestic violence usually try to treat the physical symptom, the physical effects actually, which is basically just how you're injured, but they don't want to address how it can be a, um, a crime actually. So the dentists, especially people in the medical field, have first-hand experience to people who have been um, uh, domestically abused or actually being attacked in, in their homes. So dentists have actually a closer look at the facial marks or signs that might show or suggest that someone has been through some form of violence uh, from their partner or whoever might have come across them. So I think this is very, very important. And I wonder if the dentists themselves know or if they sometimes pick up marks and just let it go. Uh, I don't know how it works in that in that field. Yeah, but it will be something uh, great to follow up on and, you know, um, yeah, and find out how they are going to be doing this or implementing this in part of their studies. Absolutely. Yes. And now we are going to look at um, a story uh, about students here at WITS and their professor and how they um, they have worked on, on a... Um, they call it the PECO power system. So this nifty um, device 
that they have built is made up of uh, solar panels and batteries, right? And these these uh, these solar panels are able to power up. Um, they are said if you know they could be implemented properly, and then they'd be fitted into our ho- households. Would be able to, you know, um, use electricity that has been generated by these um, by by these systems that mm-hmm. uh, these young students have created. So, uh, but Masibulele Lunika covered uh, this report, and we will hear more from um, his story that he has uh, covered. Okay. In aims to meet the needs of South Africans and Africans who face electricity shortages, Professor Willy Kronje of the School of Electrical and Information Engineering at the University of the Witwatersrand, together with a team of his students, have created or invented an expandable personal solar power system or power grid. Professor Kronje said he came up with the idea of the PECO power system in 2010 and he, with his students, managed to build the first prototype in 2014. The system works through the use of solar panels and additional external batteries for cases where there is no sunlight. He elaborates more on how this invention came about. So we know electrification is a big problem in the world. Uh, There's still about a billion people worldwide without electricity. That means they're living off the grid, in in a sense, mostly relying on fossil uh, biomass burning wood. To change this, there is a huge need for new technology and innovation, uh, not just the conventional way of doing this. And we identified this by doing some research and looking at the numbers and discovered that the low population density in Africa presents a unique problem to the classical solutions of an ESCOM grid, which is basically modeled after European and North American style solutions. So we decided to put some research effort into developing equipment that will be better suited to this low density type of problem that we have. And this is even true in many parts of South Africa where people live far from the nearest ESCOM line. To reach them is prohibitively expensive. And the changes in technology, especially the solar energy, which has become cheaper and cheaper over the last 20 years, presents new opportunities. So we're trying to exploit that. It tells us a bit more about who worked on the project and how it finally came to be. It was myself and the team of students, actually over several years, different students who've been pursuing this I think we finally managed to show that it's possible in 2014, uh, in principle. And after that, we started refining. We got some nice uh, grants, which helped us to industrialize it a little bit. So we actually have a very refined solution at the moment, which is almost ready to go to market, which we hope to pursue in the next year. Patented by VITS two years ago, so we hope that can protect it as we go forward. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. We hope it can actually make a difference in the lives of the people currently living without electricity. Further, he elaborates on the unique advantages of the PECO power system and what makes it different from other competing solutions. We've finally come up with an idea of how to make expandable slash scalable systems, which is do-it-yourself. So the end user can get it in a shop or get it delivered from somewhere, and he can put it together himself. You don't need to be a technically qualified person to use this equipment. And we think that presents unique advantages for this environment, especially in Africa. So people can actually buy it in town, take it to wherever they live, and very easily put together a system that can meet their needs. Once they have light, after a year or so, they can invest a bit more money, they can upgrade without throwing away the old stuff. That is to us very important, that you don't throw away the old stuff, but you can keep on adding and expanding. That's a really, really important feature as far as we're concerned. We find out a bit more about the technical side of the system, the materials that were used, and how it all fits together. 
So basically, we work on a 12-volt system, which is very safe. So it's like any any motor car or lots of in-house equipment running off 12 volts. There's also a, a wide variety of equipment available that can already connect to 12 volt and give you useful uh, whatever, you know, from fans through to uh, USB chargers, which you can buy next to the traffic light. All those things can connect to a 12 volt system. So we're leveraging the, the automotive industry, which is running off 12 volts to a large extent. And lots of specialized components have been produced for the automotive industry, which has really good properties now some of them has to live in the engine cavity where it gets hot and wet and grimy and dirty and all that stuff so the components are really good so we don't need to go and develop new electronic components for the pico grids that we've developed we can actually leverage and i think that's very important so that means we can make it much cheaper than if specialized things had to be produced for our solution in terms of capacity, how much power the system can produce, the professor says they hope to make it much more powerful, although people can expand it for themselves at this stage of development by adding different layers to the system. He elaborates more. We're dreaming of scaling it much bigger. We probably start with a single person powering the gadgets and the stuff he wants, lights for himself. Then you can start thinking about individuals making up a household who can then connect their systems together to provide functionality for the household. Once that system is large enough, you can actually start adding refrigeration and things to it. We're also working currently with the Eye on the Future on a 48-volt system, which should then seamlessly connect to the 12-volt system so that you don't need ever to throw away the old equipment. You can just encapsulate it by adding like the layers of an onion, you add more. So you grow, but you don't need to discard anything. I hate e-waste, which is an environmental problem. How do you discard old electronic boards and equipment? So we want to make sure that it can be reused or stay in use as long as it possibly can. And we are aiming for maybe in five to 10 years time to actually be able to do cooking with these things as well. But that is still a challenging uh, aspect which we are battling with at the moment. As South Africa experienced load shedding and grid outages recently, the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research advised the public to take control of electricity in their households by installing energy-efficient devices and appliances while also implementing alternative energy strategies in order to minimize the impact of load shedding or grid outages while also saving money. According to the CSIR, renewable energy and solar power in particular is a great alternative to solving our energy problems. Joanne Kalitz, CSIR senior engineer, tells us more. For solar power in, in particular, the CSIR has itself on its own campus installed uh, almost 2 megawatts of solar PV. And of course, this energy reduces the demand on the power system or the national grid during the day. Uh, so that does help alleviate uh, the system. According to her, such smaller systems like Pico Power make a huge impact on the national grid. So at, at the household level, a lot of the demand is typically in the morning and the evening. So solar PV at, at a residential scale, if it's quite small, that, that could be helpful because there are obviously appliances that run all day long, like your fridge and uh, perhaps your geysers as well. So a small solar PV system can really help to reduce your electricity bill and the demand on the system. If you if you wanted to look at a larger solar PV system to help to meet all of your load, you would have to accompany that with a with a battery system as well. And that 
that becomes exponentially more expensive, unfortunately. With other experts having also said that renewable energy is the answer to the country's energy challenges, recently the CSIR found that renewable energy actually assisted in relieving pressure on the constrained South African power system during load shedding in the first quarter of 2019. Contributing valuable energy and assisting in avoiding further load shedding, Khalid elaborates more. Um, I think the, the CSR has helped to inform the general public on the advantages of, of solar power alleviating um, the energy situation on the grid. We specifically looked at the solar PV plants that are currently running or operational and how they have helped to reduce load shedding from a stage, could have been stage 6 or stage 5 to stage 4. And I, I just must know, it's not only solar PV, it's also um, concentrated solar power as well as wind energy that have, have helped to alleviate load shedding of our system. Last month, the CSIR also held a media briefing where experts shared some valuable advice that the general public can use to considerably help reduce load shedding and alleviate the stress on the grid. Khaled tells us a few. So there are a number of options for that people can do and, and I'll start with some that are, are free for everyone. So Something that can really help the power system is to move to more energy efficient appliances such as LED, LED lights or, or efficient aircon um, or, for example, efficient fridges and, and things like that. And But something that you can do that doesn't cost money in terms of energy efficiency is to reduce the temperature setting on your aircon. And this is especially applicable in the workplace. Uh, where you can reduce your temperature setting to 23 or 24 degrees Celsius or increase your temperature setting to that number depending on whether it's cold or whether it's hot. And this will save a lot of energy, not only for your electricity bill, but also for, for the ESCOM grid. Then in terms of other things that you can do to help alleviate road load shedding is that timers on your pool pumps, for example, at home, try to move demand out of peak demand periods. So you'll know that ESCOM battles a lot with supplying demand during the evening peak from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. So if you can shift uh, cooking earlier during the day or, or even after this period or having your pool pump before or after this period, it would really, really help to alleviate uh, some of the constraints on the power system. With a clear need and a gap in the market, Professor Cronier says the plan going forward is to make the system a commercially available product. And those plans are looking promising as some investors have shown interest. We, we're already in, in discussions with venture capital uh, companies and investors who are keen on this. So we hope in the next few months to actually clinch some deal somewhere. And they can start employing our students actually to be the the core of the of the effort. Cost is a very difficult one. We are first of all trying to show that our idea works and then the subsequent thing is to package it in a commercially acceptable way so that it's affordable. Um, it offers advantages over existing solutions. So there are competing products out there but they don't have the advantages that our system has. So we feel we should come in at least at the same price level. So for a, for a household that just wants to have some lights and charge cell phones and stuff, the solutions on the market currently will be around five to six thousand rands and there are various schemes where people may be paid off over two years or so we, we're a bit agnostic about how it gets into a house we are more focusing on the technology and we want to make sure that what we are working on 
will leave the factory door at a competitive price. So that whoever are the people actually rolling it out um, can compete against the existing solutions. And they can then offer uh, an expansive future, you know, where this thing can still be expanded and enhanced. So you're not limited, because most of the existing solutions that you can go and buy now will be limited. They will only allow you X lights and one cell phone charger or something. And they work, they're beautiful, they're well packaged, they are produced in large numbers, so their prices are competitive. But that's it, you can't actually add one more light to them, they're not expandable, they're just limited. And then they're also proprietary, you can't mix um, equipment from one manufacturer with that from another. All trying to protect their market share, um, we actually think we are entering this with an open architecture. So you can take any 12-volt USB charger that you can buy at the traffic light or at Midas or wherever and stick it into our system and it'll work. So you don't need to buy everything from us. And lastly, the professor shares about the interesting twist in the product's name PECO, spelled P-E-C-O, and how that came about. No, so we call it uh, a PECO grid, which is really a tiny grid, and its functioning is based on the principles that you would find in an ESCOM grid as well. So we are leveraging that knowledge that exists, uh, but it's a tiny, you know, DC also. It's not AC like the ESCOM grid, but there's enough similarity that it's in principle, fundamentally, it is a grid that make it make the scalability and things possible. And to try and commercialize it, we think the name has been too technical because it's a scientific term of how large or small something is, so nano pico is very small. So we're trying to change that to personal compute, uh, personal consumer power, and uh, that changes the PICO to PECO, so it becomes pico power instead of pico, just to, to get a name that people can more relate to. Um, so that's what we, we're thinking of at the moment. It doesn't mean that's fine. And that's a wrap for the story. Thanks to Professor Cronier and Joanne Kalitz for the conversation. I am Masibule Luniga. This is the Science Inside. Hello and welcome. This is the Science Inside and I am Bridget Lepere. And now we are going to uh, the second part of our show or another part of our show which we all love and that is Unscience. And tonight's Unscience is going to be presented by Campion. Yes. Um, so we know from basic science level that there are three states of matter, namely solid, liquid and gas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at least that's what I've known to be true my whole life until now. It turns out potassium, under specific conditions, can be both solid and liquid at the same time. Okay. (laughs) I know. Uh, Well, the difference is, if you would like to compare that to Quicksilver, uh, the differences and similarities between them. For instance, Quicksilver is liquid at room temperature, while potassium is solid at room temperature, even though they are both metals. Sure. So tell me, uh, how is this possible? How are these... How is it able to remain solid and liquid at the same time? Well, the structure of the potassium itself is very complex. 
According to an experiment done by computational scientists from the University of Edinburgh School of Physics and Astronomy, they carried out virtual experiments uh, where they exposed the metal to extreme temperature and pressure conditions. Uh, the evidence showed that the chain melted state of matter is not merely a transition from solid to liquid, but it is rather stable. In other words, it becomes both solid and liquid depending on how you heat it up or cool it down. So now, how would you contain it? Like, if you were to put it on your hand, how would, how would it be? Would it be a liquid? Would it be a solid? Okay, uh, so the lead scientist of the study, Dr. Andreas Hermann, actually says it would look like and feel like a solid. However, if you pick it up, the liquid part of it would start leaking out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and what happens if the liquid part leaks out totally, like, completely would you have like nothing mm. left would it just disappear see that's where it gets very stranger than pulp fiction so if the liquid part gets lost from the material some solid part of it would melt to replace the liquid part <laughs> all right and so you're saying what actually happens what's happening yeah you heard that right uh well the solid part that melts uh it replaces the liquid part if it ever runs out Hard to believe, right? <laughs> really hard to believe. So tell me again how this actual study was conducted. Yeah, uh, the experiment was virtually carried out, which means they used computer software to study meta through simulation programs. In this case, they used programs that show the exact reactions of potassium under high temperatures and pressure, which is what they call computational physics. All right, interesting. So I see, and... Um, has potassium always been this strangely um, reactive? Oh, under- yeah. Actually, yes. Uh, these researchers had demonstrated in a previous study that potassium has always been a little <laughs> weird and that it is highly reactive as a metal. So each time it is subjected to high pressure and temperature, the atoms in some parts become strongly connected, while in some parts it becomes disorderly, thereby creating a complete mixture of both the solid part and the liquid part. So just like many of us, potassium can't make up its mind when it's under intense pressure. <laughs> oh, so I was right. <laughs> it right. doesn't it doesn't know how to make up its mind. Yeah. And you know, for me, potassium has always been that element. Um, or for me, I haven't thought about it that much on the scientific side. Mm-hmm. Potassium has always been banana for me. <laughs> so every time <laughs> someone says potassium, I'm thinking of a mineral or a vitamin. Uh, but this got me really curious, right? Is it only potassium that acts in this manner? Uh, good question there. So the scientists in this study believe that potassium is not the only metal that makes this strange transition, but even other neighboring elements on the periodic table as well. However, you know, it rather makes me think that if the if there's really more to what we know about states of matter or is it just all, I'm sure there's always room to be disappointed if you thought this was everything. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And there is always something we we do not know out there. And it is our duty. And as scientists, well, scientists out there, it's their duty to go and find out and Mm. bring these interesting things to us. Yeah. And, you know, as a child, I've always wondered that, you know, I thought jelly was a good example of this because it's not completely solid and it's also not liquid neither. It seemed at that time that it was something in between. Have you ever wondered for that? 
yeah why jelly is like yeah i've always thought it was like the perfect example of this but now potassium is proving me completely wrong yeah but i mean jelly is totally different i mean like <laughs> with jelly there's gelatin and there's other components mixed to make it in that state to be in that state because i mean gelatin is yeah. made from um from animal um uh, cartilage and, mm-hmm. and bones that that gooey part like when you cut the meat out mm-hmm. then there's that gooey sticky <laughs> looking uh, gummy yeah, looking yeah. thing yeah that's where they use the gelatin um, from that's where the gelatin comes from so I guess yeah, well as a child you don't think that far but <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is <laughs> this is what I've always thought yeah imagine walking up to your mom and you say <laughs> is there some animal products in this <laughs> it looks kind of weird that'll be something isn't it yeah yeah so that's all I have for Science Today. Uh, the study was published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, led by Dr. Andreas Hamann, and the story was sourced from lifescience.com. Well, thank you for bringing that unscience to us. It's unusual, unlikely, unscience. Unusual, unlikely, unscience. This is the Science Inside. Welcome back. I'm Bridget LePere and this is indeed The Science Inside. And we're going to a story that will or might put a smile on your face because we all want an end to the ongoing load shedding that we have been experiencing from the beginning of March. Now, ESCOM, according to South Africa's National Development Plan and the Integrated Resource Plan under the ESCOM Build Program, the following capacity has been commissioned. 1,332 megawatts of Igula pumped storage and at Mudubi, um, 1,588 was expected and Kusile um, stands at 800 megawatts, right? And at the Siri wind farm, 100 megawatts was produced using alternative power. And this commissioning of uh, the 1,005 megawatts to the open cycle gas turbine, uh, which is at the, the, the peaking plant. And in total, it was said that a total of 18,000 megawatts of generation capacity has been committed to. And ESCOM said that they are willing and are committed to keeping this promise. But besides the capacity additions, a number of assumptions have also changed since the pro, uh, promulgated IRP 2010 to 2030 key assumptions that changed which includes uh, electricity demands projections and ESCOM's existing plant performance as well as new technology costs. And all of these changes necessitated the review and the in the update of the IRP. So they wanted to see if really all of these plans that they had uh, for ESCOM would be uh, achievable or if they were feasible. But we also spoke to former ESCOM spokesperson Kulupa Siwe about how far they are with this uh, project. We have now connected the second unit of Kusile Power Station, which is uh, Unit 3, to the grid. What this means is that it's now synchronized, which means that it is now producing electricity, but not on a permanent basis, So, because they are still testing it. So on a regular basis, it will continue to run 
so that uh, the engineers can uh, see if it's running according to specifications and also producing power at uh, the, the specified levels. And then there will be times, obviously, when those things are not being met, and then they will switch it off to tweak it here and there until they get the output that they want. From our side as a company, we are happy with what we are seeing now. And once all of the six units are completed, a total of 4,800 megabytes will be, uh, megawatts, pardon me, will be produced. And it seems that as though plans to get these power plants synchronized in time and on schedule are, uh, are on schedule and on point. In terms of the initial plan, this uh, unit was supposed to be synchronized to the grid by December this year. So now that it was synchronized this month, it means that it has been now connected to the grid eight months ahead of that schedule. What this means is that the engineers, some of them at least, will continue working on this particular unit, but the focus will now be on the other remaining units. If things go well, we might actually finish the whole power station way before 2023, which is our deadline, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. According to Fin24, they say investors could really take advantage of their existing renewable energy infrastructures to sell power to ESCOM. And Fed Group, as an independent financial services group, has created an impact farming investment option, which was launched in August last year. This allows investors to buy solar panels for 5000 per unit and earn monthly returns and according to Pasiwe this is the investment um, they, they, they've made uh, investments into ensuring that this uh, project gets on its feet and it is uh, uh, it is feasible now the three power stations will be the first of their kind to use wet flu gas desulfurization in South Africa. The flue gas desulfurization is a set of technologies which remove the harmful sulfur dioxide gas from emissions made from the interaction of the gases. The reason why Kusile is much more expensive than Midupi, although they are of the same size, it is because at the Kusile power station, we are retrofitting it with new technology called the flue gas desulfurization. What this means is that from the onset, it's going to be able to produce relatively harmless gas emissions from the power stations. So you're not going to see smoke or other things coming out. What you'll see will be something like uh, these new cars that are now in the market. When you start a car, unlike those ones that came from the 80s or 70s, you don't see smoke. All you see these days is just a little vapor coming out, out of the exhaust of a car. So this uh, new technology that we are fitting into Kusile Power Station, it will be equivalent to that. So it's uh, helping us to reduce greenhouse gas emissions into the environment. That's why the price is a bit uh, steepier than uh, medium. And ESCOM is not only working on cleaner and greener options of providing efficient electricity, but they are also working on a project that will enable all these wonderful energy providing alternatives to reserve all that generated power. We are also in the process of developing a battery storage facility. We are testing that facility at our research and innovation center in Germiston. Once we are able to get the necessary quality assurances, then we will roll it out and then it will become sort of something that can also help to generate money for ESCOM. 
According to ESCOM, talks around using renewable energy to supplement the energy to the power grid is not something new to the company. Uh, Pasiwe says a pilot of the Darling Wind Farm project, which they had started testing out early in the 90s in the Western Cape, um, They've been doing this for some time and they have also extended these offerings, uh, which uh, is the Siri Wind Farm, which is said to be producing 100 megawatts, which is being fed into the power grid as we speak. We have also gotten money from the World Bank where we are going to use some of it to build a bigger wind farm. And uh, we are currently looking into the possibility of having a wind farm either in the Northern Cape or parts of the Western Cape. But uh, currently the biggest one that we're looking into, which is a new innovation, is the battery facility, which has the ability to store electricity coming from the renewables. As you will know, renewables, especially wind and solar, you're able to generate electricity, but you are not able to store it. During the time when the sun goes down, you are not able to use that electricity because the sun is no longer there or the wind is no longer there. But with a battery facility, you are able to store the power so that you can use it late in the evening. And that's where we are now in terms of our research and innovation. And that is just really awesome news in terms of what ESCOM is really looking into implementing um, into the foreseeable future. Uh, We have heard them saying that the... Um, they're expecting to complete this synchronization by 2023. They are saying that they are ahead of schedule because the first power station that uh, received the full uh, synchronization it was, you know, completed and it is being tested as we speak and it was done way ahead of time because it was only uh, expected to be finished by the end of um, of this year actually. So now we are reaping the benefits and um we are, you know, we are getting closer to winter, the chillier nights, and we are hoping that ESCOM will really um, power itself up and, you know, provide the power that they said they will be um, providing to the people. Uh, but it has been a really informative and an interesting show where we looked at, you know, um, where we looked at you know, um, various things that have been happening um, in, 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 in the news. Uh, but, uh, I mean, with ESCOM um, going ahead with these synchronization plans, we have concerns about, um, you know, copper theft and all of the things that have besieged ESCOM that have caused them to load shed or to, um, for us uh, or the country facing power outages. The cheapest way of dealing with cable theft is to rely on communities to inform us about uh, people whom they know or suspect as being the thieves of cable so that these people can be arrested. But in terms of the new technologies that we are coming up with, is to convert the copper cables that we have, replace them, and uh, put up the fiber optics. Obviously, that one is going to take a, a bit of a long time to convert everything into fiber optics because we as ESCOM alone, our distribution network is over 340,000 kilometers of wires. So clearly, you cannot um, remove everything all at once. But uh, in cases where we have big occurrences or hotspots of cable theft, whenever we have an incident, when we go there, we don't replace the copper 
with copper, we are substituting it with this uh, fiber optic because it becomes useless to the people who are stealing cables. It is a big problem generally of cable theft across the nation. People are stealing cables and then clearly becomes a problem where people do not have electricity. And some people think that it's low shedding. Little do they know that it's actually cable which has been stolen. But the cheapest way of dealing with this thing is to rely on communities to inform us whenever they see or suspect that certain individuals are involved so that we can report those matters to the police. You've heard it firsthand here on the Science Inside. So you've heard it that um, Mr. Pasio is saying that it is up to the community to report cable theft, but we know that now ESCOM is also working on a plan of replacing all of those copper um, of, of, of the copper uh, of the copper that is um, helping um, the for the for the power to be uh, provided to households, and now thieves can't steal any of the wiring because now it will be made out of fiber. But stay with us; we return after this short break. Well, that is it for this week. We looked at really interesting things. We looked at a an element that can't decide whether it wants to be a liquid or a solid. We looked at a shrub that is going to aid us in treating addiction and we also spoke about other people who are here at the Wits University who are working on uh, systems to help the uh, ESCOM on its own uh, and help uh, people of South Africa to uh, help the power utility to provide electricity to households. Uh, with that being said, we would like to thank all of the guests who were featured on the show tonight, including Professor Willie Crenier, Kriyone and his team of students and Kulupa Siwe and the team behind the scenes is production by Masibulele Lunika, Masichaba Kanyapa, Lebohang Mungani and a champion Zarima and finally how can we forget our tech Mr. Gudwano Serame. Our podcast can be found on journalism.co.za forward slash science and so on social media you can find us as the science inside the science inside is produced by the vids radio academy funded in part by the south african department of science and technology the science inside podcast